welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Dude. Hello. Hello, world. Hello, friends. This is Dude. You're listening to the Album Nerds Podcast, and I've got Andy and Don with me. Good morning, sirs. How you doing? Good. I'm, I'm excited to talk about sax. Yes. You are a sax addict, <laughs> from what I understand. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about sax, baby. <laughs> wow. We didn't plan those. They're awful just uh, off the top of our heads. All right. Before we jump into what it is that we do, which is talk about albums, I'll explain. We're the album nerds. We're three guys. We love talking about music. This is a way for us to uh, share that with the world. We try to keep it spicy, so we spin a wheel of musical destiny, and it tells us what to do, what to listen to, and we get to learn about new things, explore old albums maybe we had kind of forgotten about, and uh, share it with you guys. So, Andy, tell us about what we spun. Yeah, at the end of last week's show, we gave that old wheel of destiny a spin, and it landed on a shiny golden space said sax appeal so today we're talking about three albums that feature the saxophone prominently in the mix yeah so we'll we'll each uh we'll each do an album with sax appeal uh we'll do our question of the week uh and we're also gonna uh let you know how you can win a, a vinyl copy of one of the the records we discussed today can i enter no no mm. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, at the end, we will we will spin the, the wheel of musical destiny again. I can't wait for all of it. So I suppose we should get uh, get things rolling here. Oh, what did Andy choose? You choo choo choose me? It might be cold outside, but it's about to get warm all up in my jazz. <laughs> 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 Little Duke Silver to start off. Your pick for the week, Andy. So, what you got? Wow, I don't know. This record is quite so smooth, but <laughs> <laughs> so for my uh, sax appeal record here, we uh, went with saxophone king of jazz, in my opinion, Sonny Rollins, and uh, one of his better known records. Conveniently, has saxophone right in the title. Talking about Saxophone Colossus, which came out back in 1956. This is the sixth studio record for Mr. Rollins, who is a well-known tenor saxophonist. Uh, it's considered his big breakthrough. We're going to play the opening cut. This is a bit of St. Thomas. Let's of St. Thomas off of Saxophone Colossus. Um, yeah, so my three words for describing this record were swing, because these songs are... Swing! <laughs> oh, swing, that's not swing. Not swing, yeah. So you got that sax appeal on your mind still. Yeah. Uh, attitude, because I think he does play with a lot of personality. And exceptional, because this is one of the, one of the all-time greats. I think it's a pretty... A pretty easy pick from that perspective. Yeah, and if you don't pick up on that, it's S-A-X. The- oh, I didn't. I'm stupid. I wish I, nice. I wish I did that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this record features a quartet. Obviously, Sonny Rollins on tenor sax. But we also have pianist 
bassist and drummer in the mix here. There's a couple of definitive versions of some jazz standards on this record. One of them is St. Thomas that we just heard there. It's also an interesting version of Mac the Knife entitled Mortat. Yeah, that song. Yeah, did you like that one? I, well, I, I don't like that song because it was ruined, but this fixed it for me. How was it ruined? I bet I know. <laughs> I figured you would know, man. <laughs> in the in the late eighties, there was a series of commercials from McDonald's where there was this moon faced guy singing about getting a Big Mac tonight, and he was when the shark bites, and it was all about eating Big Macs. It's a good time for the greatest <laughs> dinner at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> This is a pretty good commercial. You guys remember it like 30 years later. Yeah. That's the problem. It was burned into our brains. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that song in particular you probably will recognize if, if you've been around. It's a bit of a, a take on it. It's not exactly it's awesome, the original. Yeah. I didn't know it was actually from a, from a German opera. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Is that, is that the story? According to the Wikipedia. <laughs> Well, then it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> if Wikipedia isn't true, our shows are in real trouble. Yeah, there are now there are now religions based on Wikipedia, and they just follow everything that's there word for word. <laughs> but I, I think that Moratot was almost like a, a requiem kind of scene or something. So it's actually a kind of a, a, a dark song, I believe. Sounds like it. There's a couple of tracks on here, but one in particular, the second track, You Don't Know What Love Is, is kind of a ballad, I think I would describe it as, and that's very emotive, and the way he plays almost sounds almost like a voice to me, so in, in that way, I think it's a little bit easier to, to kind of wrap your head around if you're familiar with more traditional kind of pop or, or singer-songwriter type songs. Um, there are a few elements to latch onto here that aren't quite as musically dense. Here's a little snip of You Don't Know What Love Is. Well, one of the cool things about saxophone is that it can be so emotive, you know? There are other uh, woodwinds and uh, instruments that that just don't quite have as much of that. I think it's the breathiness. Yeah, that song there really sounds like smoky, kind of like this noir feel to it. I really love that one in particular. I think the last track on the record, Blue 7, is a really kind of clear statement of of Sonny's playing style, but also kind of this, this movement in jazz that was happening at the time. You know, like oftentimes in jazz, you introduce a theme pretty early on in the track, and then you expand upon it throughout the, throughout the song. And he does that in pretty interesting ways through three main solos on that course of a 11 minute track there which i think is just a pretty epic closer and and really gives the record if you weren't already convinced that this was a pretty awesome record by the time you get to the end i think it's it's pretty clear uh why don't we play just a little clip uh from blue seven yeah and yeah i think it, you're basically just kind of uh whipping it out right now showing off how you are the sax appeal master because you're you're the you've got a jazz album in here with some of the best saxophone playing i've ever heard I know, it's kind of unfair i'm sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so what was everyone's general takeaway with this record as a whole? Did you guys re into this or is it a little bit outside of your comfort zone? I loved it. I mean, I, I love jazz. I just, I think I'm overwhelmed by it and I get like deer in the headlights. I don't know what to pick. There's so much. I don't, like, I know some of the names, but then I feel like, should I be listening to just the, the big names? Like, oh, Miles Davis, you know, <laughs> that's all I know, you know, and every time I listen to a jazz album, I enjoy it, especially these classic ones, but I just, I, I, uh, I guess I fear the genre and I, and I really try not to. How about you, Don? Yeah, I feel almost exactly the, the same way. Every time I listen to a jazz record, I love it. I really loved this one. But yeah, I, I'm in, intimidated by it. Uh, I'm, I still don't know a, a lot about it. But I, I think I'll probably use this album as sort of a, a foundation, maybe. You know, I, I guess when you get into things, maybe you have a, a, an album that sort of starts it all. And, and maybe you compare everything to that. So, you know, maybe this will be that. Uh, but yeah, I I loved it. This music, this emotive style of saxophone playing is what made its way into rock and roll. Yeah, that's the great thing about the classics, man. They kind of can feel their influence for decades. I think that is the case here with uh, Sonny Rollins and Saxophone Colossus. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Yes, it's that time. Time for us to ask ourselves a question. <laughs> introspective Monday mornings with the album there. That's right. All right. What song or songs come to mind when you hear the word saxophone? It's the first song that pops in your head. Uh, For me, it wasn't necessarily a song, but just kind of, uh, I think a sound, a sound of, of Kenny G, but I, I, I feel like that was such a big part of my growing up. Not, not willingly, but like, Department stores, elevators. The weather channels. Yeah, it's a big part of our culture. And recently, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but there was a kind of documentary released on HBO featuring on Kenny G. Yeah, it's good. Was it about his hair care regimen? Because as a bald man. (laughs) That's what you want to know most about. I want to know about his hair, how he kept it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just as curly as ever, man. Now, he's a really... Interesting guy. I, I was kind of floored watching that documentary. You, you liked it too, Doc? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good documentary. And he's actually doing some, some pretty interesting things. And he's kind of a, a controversial person, I think, in the, the jazz community. Didn't he set world records for like longest note or something? Like he played this one note on his sax for like an hour and a half. I don't know. That was probably not that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's right. There's, what do you call the, the breathing that he does? Like cyclical yeah. breathing or something like that. Yeah. Or he just continuously is able to play. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's one thing we didn't really mention about with, with Sonny, but also, Strangely enough, Kenny G, the amount of hours these guys put in to practice their instruments is just obscene. Like, and I know that Kenny G documentary you're talking about like 10, 12 hours a day of practicing the same instrument you've been playing for decades. It just kind of blows me away. You can't three chord it with a saxophone. You, <laughs> right. With a guitar and enough, and enough pedals, you could get away with it. But <laughs> yeah. What about you, Don? Uh, well, I, I, I'm similar. It isn't a song that's in my head, but it's an image of Rob Lowe in St. Elmo's Fire. Yes. Yes, I was thinking about that and too. It's, <laughs> it's just this awful scene where, you know, he's on stage playing whatever music and then, 
he goes, let's rock. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but he's so obviously not playing the, the saxophone in that, that in that film. <laughs> yeah. It was like, he was playing a guitar solo. Like, like people would be losing their, their shit over this guy playing a saxophone solo <laughs> with this dangly earring. <laughs> Andy, you familiar with that scene in Saving no, Private Ryan? No, I've never even heard of that movie. I no. What? Uh, Brat Pack? Hello? It's bad, but it's worth watching. It's very <laughs> 80s. <laughs> what was uh, what was your pick, man? Careless Whisper. I guess it's whether... It's, I think that's technically Wham, although it's really just George Michael. But that... You know, I had that comes to mind immediately totally. every time yeah that's the first thing that i hear in my head is careless whisper <laughs> and then there's a series of youtube videos this this uh jokester with a fake mustache and and a mullet wig going around shirtless to malls and stuff playing careless whisper on his saxophone <laughs> getting kicked out and stuff nice so it's funny how like, i'm not the three, only one it's funny how all three of our picks are kind of like bad saxophone yeah. like well <laughs> except careless whisper is a great song so yeah okay <laughs> well <laughs> that that got awkward <laughs> all right folks we've blathered on enough what song or songs come to mind when you hear the word saxophone let us know on the socials at album nerds and on the discord Sexy. 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 Okay, so uh, I went with uh, we're we're moving out of <laughs> we're moving out of the uh, the jazz genre into Roxy Music. Right? So this is uh, their debut album, uh, self-titled, uh, was released in in June 1972. Uh, why don't we uh, why don't we do a, a clip? This is the the third song uh, on the album. If there is something. Uh, so you know when I was when I when I was you know trying to come up with an album uh, with with sax appeal and I realized Roxy Music is probably the only artist you know that I'm really you know really into you know my my core artist you know that has a, a full time saxophone player or you know somebody who's an official member of the band uh, so you know Roxy Music has uh, Andy McKay. Uh, born Andrew McKay, uh, 1946. Uh, so he was the, the full-time saxophonist and also, uh, also played the, the oboe. So he's featured on every Roxy Music album. So for the, the three words I chose, I, I wish I had, you know, made it spell out sax. Um, so I did glam, progressive, and pre-punk. So that's, you know, that's kind of, how I see Roxy Music's legacy, right? So it's in the the middle of that glam rock movement in the UK at the time, but also you know a bit more progressive, I think, than a, a lot of the other artists. And you know, I, I think a lot of what they did paved the way for uh, for punk rock. What do you guys think about Roxy Music? It's weird. It's like I hear Jello Biafra from the Dead Kennedys uh, yeah. uh, at times vocally. So it also has a different sort of British talking heads flavor, a little more scattered, I'd say, but similar. I'm not familiar with, with them except for the, the two times you've made me listen to their albums done, this one and <laughs> and Avalon. 
Yeah, Avalon was kind of my touch point as well. So this was quite a bit different, but I found it to be very interesting. I feel like there's a lot to dig into with this record, which I love. There's a lot of experimentation going on. Uh, a lot of like interesting sounds created that don't necessarily fit into conventional music, which I found really interesting. Yeah, the vocals. We'll have to talk about the vocals a little bit. <laughs> sometimes sometimes I loved them. Sometimes I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm comfortable with how this is progressing. But as a whole, I think it was a pretty interesting and definitely challenging listen. The the vocalist is uh, Brian Ferry, who's also the the main songwriter in the group. Um, you guys mentioned the album Avalon, which was their last one, which has m- much more of a a pop sound, um, and his his voice is uh, you know much more uh, I guess just more traditional uh, and refined uh, in in later albums. And here, I, I don't know, he's he's goofy. <laughs> he's going for it. I think it's it's cool. It works in the mix. I think. Yeah, but there's times where it's just him, just his voice, and without all the extra accompaniment, I think it gets a little bit yeah. weird. <laughs> well, so we're we're supposed to be uh, talking about sax here, yeah. so let's uh, hear uh, Andy McKay's sax uh, on the track. Uh, Would you believe? Yeah, that definitely has a '50s, you know, like. Uh, Happy days kind of yeah. vibe to it. Yep, mm-hmm. definitely. Why don't we play another clip? Two uh, HB. This is more like a kind of a, a psychedelic uh, sound. Is that uh, like double tracked? It might. That's an interesting sound. Yeah, it might be. You, you definitely hear the uh, Brian Eno in that. You know, so that Brian Eno was uh, in part of Roxy Music for the for the first two albums. So I, I think whatever that that backing sound is there probably is is coming from him. Yeah, it might be it might be double tracked. Uh, I have trouble sometimes distinguishing between oboe and and saxophone. So some of the songs uh, I might be m- mistaking those those two instruments. They both got reeds, so we'll we'll let it slide. <laughs> And just as a side note, we'd mentioned Brian Eno, probably most well-known for his production work with U2 on Joshua Tree and, and others. Uh, a couple other thoughts about the, the album. Uh, well, the, the song Virginia Plain was, was actually a single, and on the original UK uh, LP, that song was, was not included. So the album's even, even shorter. Uh, but I, I think every version that's, that's streaming, uh, includes that Virginia plane. I feel like that was the most kind of like cohesive track on the, I guess a song. Like that was really represented what they were doing on the rest of the album nicely. Like you could just listen to those three minutes and get a, a pretty clear idea of what, what they're all about. Uh, and also the, the album was uh, produced by Peter Sinfield from King Crimson. So, oh. yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. King Crimson was on my, potentials because they have some saxophone yeah so uh uh, any other any other thoughts on roxy music the album cover it's it's not offensive or anything it's just a lady with way too much 1970s eye makeup on but it just doesn't it doesn't tell the story of what this is at all Uh, i think the album cover maybe was supposed to be like a like a, a 1950s Hollywood. Oh, it's supposed to be a pinup thing. Yeah, and so if you notice it's lyrically, there, there's a lot of references to uh, to film in it. Okay, 
Yeah, the whole thing seems very cinematic. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm, I think that's yeah. where they're going. And then if you look at all the Roxy Music albums, they almost all have uh, a woman on the cover, sometimes scantily clad. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that really struck me listening to it start to finish was kind of how it was structured. I feel like the A-side is really loaded with the more, not traditional songs, but a little bit more accessible. And once you get to track six, the Bob melody, things really break apart. And I think you start to see a lot of that emo influence. And the second half of the record is just pretty experimental and pretty pretty wild. Uh found it pretty interesting. I think this is going to stick in my my Spotify library for the future. I think it's worth some, some more deeper listens. So done. Thank you. Very sexy. <laughs> You're welcome. So that was Roxy Music with their self-titled debut. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. All right, music fans, have we got a deal for you? Tell me, Andy. What's this deal? I'm intrigued. <laughs> well, if you listen to past episodes, you would know that we have a Discord channel. A Discord what? Yes, it's true. Albnerds.com slash Discord. Type that address into your address bar. You'll end up. You can join our Discord channel where the three of us hang out constantly. To help promote the Discord channel, we are going to be doing a giveaway of the very Roxy Music album we just spoke about. They're reissuing the debut in the near future, and we are going to send a copy to you. All you have to do is join our Discord, look for the channel entitled Giveaway, and enter your favorite saxophone-related album. What album do you think has the most sax appeal? Just write down your pick. It cannot be wrong. We just want you to, to join our community, and we'll send you a fresh copy of this classic LP on vinyl. But we, we should make it clear that we're going to we're gonna randomly select somebody from that group to give them an album. So not everybody gets gets the album. Right. Yeah. We're, we yeah. have some troubles. You would have some yeah, troubles. That's, uh, <laughs> that's my credit card. It turned into a $500 project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so once again, just go to albnerds.com slash discord, join the channel, and become part of the community, and get a, get a copy of Roxy Music. Sacks appeals. All right. So my pick is pretty much it's easy as it gets in terms of the rock and roll world. I went with uh, a young a young uh, man named Bruce Springsteen. You guys heard of him? Vaguely familiar. With his 1975 kind of breakout album. Why don't we start with 10th Avenue Freeze Out? Get a little sense of this thing. Now, on 10th Avenue Freeze Out there, not only can you hear a little bit of the saxophone stylings of Clarence a Nicholas Clemens Jr., or the big man, as they referred to him in the E Street Band, but he also, the, the, the song is a story of, of the band and how they all got together, and uh, Bruce actually calls out the big man in that uh, little piece of lyric there. 10th Avenue Freeze Out, which... Bruce Springsteen himself says he doesn't know what that means, but it's important. He that that doesn't necessarily that phrase is just something he liked. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I always thought of like this struggling band that just couldn't. They just kept getting frozen out. They couldn't. Maybe Tenth Avenue was where the club they wanted to play. I I had this whole thing imagined in my head. So I 
I have to describe this album in three words. Those words are boss, because Bruce Springsteen is the boss. Band, because the band is a main focus point of this album, including Clarence and the saxophone, of course. And Breakthrough, because this was the Breakthrough album. So, what do you guys uh, think of Born to Run? You heard it before? What's the deal? I don't think I'd heard this all the way through before, uh, but I do like this era of Springsteen. I don't know. I was kind of mixed on it. It's a really different sound. It's a big, kind of polished, clean production, big band sound, I guess. I guess for saxophone, obviously, that makes sense. But I don't know. I was kind of mixed on it overall. There's some there's some big songs on there you recognize, some singles that are pretty prominent. Yeah, I don't know. Middle of the road for me. I was a late convert to, to the boss when I finally was, you know, won over, uh, by, by Bruce Springsteen. I, I think Born to Run was, was the album that, that really sucked me in. Uh, you know, I see, you know, Springsteen as kind of this, this blue collar poet and, and he just, he just captures, you know, whatever that, that spirit is. And, you know, there's angst and, and desperation. I guess that I, what I love about his vocals and songs like, like Thunder Road and, and Born to Run is just like, I really, it, it seems sincere. You know, I mean, I know he's kind of playing a character, but just, you know, there's a sincerity there and a, and a desperation and, and, you know, we got to get out of town. You know, it's our last chance. You know, we're going to escape from this world. Um, you know, I just really got, got sucked into that, but it's something I didn't get, you know, when I was young, you know, watching MTV, you know, I'd be like, Oh God, Bruce Springsteen. Um, you know, as I was waiting for, uh, you know, wham, wham videos or something. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I I picture you in a choose life shirt with, uh, little colorful gloves and socks on dancing around to wake me up before you go. Frankie says, relax. (laughs) I was, I mean, I was the opposite. I kind of, I mean, I wasn't really aware of Bruce Springsteen in this time period because I was very, very young. Um, I may have heard Born to Run on the radio, but the Born in the USA period is when I was like, oh, this, uh, you know, this badass working class dude, you know, singing for the people. When I started going back and grabbing old vinyl for really cheap back when you could do that before it got popular to have again born to run was one of the things i picked up for a couple of bucks and loved it from the first time i i spun it and there's something really tangible and real about it that that draws me in uh the production yeah andy you're right this was this was not only born to run it was built to be successful yeah they they worked on it a lot uh 15 months it's a long time <laughs> for an album. Uh, it sounds like it, though. I mean, it sounds like they really worked on every second that was recorded. Like he here. kept changing the lyrics. Like, you'd go back on uh, Born to Run and change the lyrics again and again. Since we're talking about Born to Run over and over again, why don't I play a little bit from that song And for those that haven't heard it? And what I like about uh, Clarence's sax there is that it's like it's like that guitar mini thing we've talked about before, but it's kind of like in sync with the guitar. It's it's really cool because it's just underneath it, and that's that's the way the saxophone was used well in this album. Was sometimes it's a feature instrument, but most of the time it's just part of the part of the story, and it's it's uh, well done. That's a good point. Yeah, sometimes it's really played in a in a lower register. Yeah, it's like a voice. Um, so the product, some of the production, uh, tracks one through four and six through eight were produced by John Landau, at least in part. 
he was like a journalist that had written about Bruce Springsteen and I guess had seen him live and had heard an old version of Born to Run. And in his, his quote was, I saw Rock and Roll Future and its name is Bruce Springsteen, which Columbia used in the $250,000 blitz, ad blitz, when this album came out to try and push this thing. And I guess it, it did. It was successful, but to a point where Bruce Springsteen was ripping down posters and didn't want to hear, didn't want that didn't want that on him, even though he went and hired the guy that wrote that about him. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. conflicted. What do you What do you know about the album cover? He's, he's got Bruce kind of like leaning on somebody else. He's kind of out of the frame. What is? I've always wondered about like why is that? It's Clarence. Yeah, I was hoping it would be. So, on nice. the back of the record, you see Clarence, and yeah, so he's leaning on him. Oh, that's cool. It's a cool cover. It's it's become kind of iconic. But the way that Bruce is dressed in the, the leather jacket and he's got a ripped wife beater on underneath it, it's just so... Classic boss, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one thing that I found very interesting that I read, again, Wikipedia, <laughs> we'll see. The LP's sequencing, supposedly Springsteen adopted a four corners approach. So the songs beginning each side, Thunder Road, Born to Run, were uplifting odes to escape, while the songs ending each side, Backstreet's Jungle Land, were mm-hmm. sad epics of loss, betrayal, and defeat. Nice. I like that. Interesting. And so does yeah. that kind of, Yeah, go ahead. No, so does that, does that make this a, a concept album? Because that's what I was, I, I was thinking about. I'm like, is, is Born to Run a, a concept album? And so maybe it is. I think almost every Bruce Springsteen album is a concept like, yeah, album. It's pretty on theme always. I mean. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it is. All right, so let's. We've played around with saxophone. We've heard Clarence here and there. Let's listen to a little bit of his solo from the uh, the final track on the album, Jungle Land. the The sax solo is over two minutes long, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of takes over for Bruce's vocals for quite a, a period there in the song. Honestly, it might have been uh, written into the album so that Bruce had a built-in break <laughs> during live shows. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I think that song in particular, but a few others on the record as well, there really is kind of like a live feel to this album. Like I think a lot about them performing this on stage as I'm listening to it. Particularly the end of Jungle Road feels like something you would get at a, a live Springsteen show. Because the beginning of the song, you know, the first four minutes is kind of like the part you'd expect, but the last four or five minutes is kind of just a more of a loose jam session, which is a cool way to end the record. Yeah, the the song in the lyrics mirror the whole Born to Run album. The, the Desperate Hope despair defeat it's all kind of in this one song the lyrical details that he uses like the the song opening with the magic rat driving his sleek machine over the jersey state line details like the barefoot girl who takes a stab at romance disappears down flamingo lane i mean just these colorful bits of phrase that are poetic but gruff at the same time i think is what the appeal of bruce springsteen is an everyman poet it's a sexy album. Clarence is, is on uh, tracks one through three, five, six, and eight. So I think that qualifies. 
for the sax appeal. Definitely. I When I think of saxophone in rock and roll, I think of that sort of bar band, blue collar sort of thing. And this album has it. Oh, it's just drenched in it. Born to Run. Go check it out. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right. Got to the point in the show where it's time to uh, get out that 12-foot-tall wheel that the dude has so lovingly constructed. Yeah, it takes a whole room. I have a wheel room now. <laughs> Thanks again for doing that, buddy. Uh, yeah, should we give that give that old wheel of musical destiny a spin? Your parents' record cabinet. Ooh. Oh, interesting. So it looks like we'll be listening to and picking albums that Jeez. our parents had in their collection. Hmm. Some Rodgers and Hammerstein. <laughs> Thank God my parents had the Beatles and uh, Jimi Hendrix in theirs. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> okay. So what album do you think has sax appeal? What else are you listening to? What's in your parents' record collection? Uh, let us know. Join your fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. Also, you can win that Roxy Music album. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at albumnerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All right, folks, that was quite a sexy morning for us. I think I need a nap. <laughs> Catch us next time on the Album Nerds Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you, everybody. Don't take any wooden nickels. Jesus. <laughs> 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 From like the 20s. Yeah, that's, that's what my neighbor says. <laughs>